Welcome to Malpractice Podcast. Hi, are you ready to get started? <laughs> I'm super ready. Season four. Season four. That's crazy. It is crazy that there are four seasons out. Feels like a shibby time. Are you excited? We're excited. We love it. Also, our season lengths are so random. We we don't even care. <laughs> we just take a break when we're ready for a break. You know how it is. Yeah. Relax. Stop being so pushy. <laughs> I'm Sydney. And I'm Jess. And this is Malpractice Podcast, season and four. And we want you to relax. <laughs> and we want you to relax. You're driving on your way to work. You're listening to this. Maybe you're actually working. Maybe you're actually doing your job. Shout out to you. <laughs> Good for you. Maybe you're running with your dog. That's what I do. Maybe you're on vacation. <laughs> yeah. How was your vacation? Oh, it was great. You celebrated your dad. Yep. My dad turned 60, so we went <laughs> to Florida, which was lovely. Oh, yeah. You look tan. Oh, thank you. I didn't get a spray tan, <laughs> so this is natural. Oh, you didn't? Wow. I'm going all natural. Easily the palest person in Florida. <laughs> Easily. That's okay. So, yeah, it was good. Happy birthday, Dad. Turn the big six zero. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah. Did he have so much fun? He had so much fun. That's awesome. It was a really nice, like, reset. Yeah. So, yeah. We should... Take a moment to like stand with Ukraine. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, it's um like any Ukrainian person who happens to find themselves listening to this. We stand with you. We so sorry for what you're going through. I literally can't imagine it. There was a protest actually downtown. Yeah. But there was just a really a, a large gathering of Ukrainian people who were like chanting and singing. You know, in those moments, it's like I just want to stand mm-hmm. and honor the the experience that they're having so we like stood there for a bit to pay homage and support and then right next to it there was a protest because of what abbott and paxton are doing to attack like trans youth (sighs) in the state and so just to all of the above leaders authentically and from my heart yeah you suck so bad if you're not aware of what's going on in Texas right now, there are some really problematic things that are coming out as a result of midterm elections. Like, let's be clear. It's a... Yeah. It's like a... It's a letter from the governor. Yeah. It's basically telling people to investigate the parents and loved ones and guardians of trans youth. Yeah. And investigate their receiving medical attention. That is gender affirming. Yeah, their gender uh, affirming medical like needs. If they're getting that support from their parents and guardians, they're trying to classify that as like abuse. Child abuse. Right. They want it investigated yes. by child protective services. Yes. Which for the purpose of transparency, this did not change any laws. No. But it is an opinion piece by a government leader. It's disgusting. I, it's 2020. Why do you have to say these things? Please stop attacking people. It's 2022. Oh, my God. You're right. It's 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we are stuck in a time machine. Oh, my God. It's 2022. That realization just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's okay. Anyway, it's 2022. Stop 
attacking the rights of other people. Like, how are we still having this conversation? Yeah, period. Just blanket statement. So the moral of the story, we stand with Ukraine. We stand with trans youth. Like, you're attacking children? Okay, anyway. Period. (sighs) Boy, I get all flustered. Yeah, it's too much. Anyway, there are lots of organizations like the Trevor Project, It Gets Better, the ACLU. If you have money or time or even influence, airtime, whatever, talk to people about it. Do what you can. There's lots to do. (sighs) Yeah, do that. If someone supports this, punch him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it feels like it's time to get into it. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Um, Dealer's choice. You want to play paper, rock, scissors? Okay. Okay. Do you do rock, paper, scissors, shoot? Yeah, obviously. Like four times. You're not an animal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, you win. Uh, so you pick. Okay. First or second? I want the go first. Okay, go. Today, Sydney and I are doing a joint episode. We have decided to highlight the success of mm-hmm. black women in medical science. And um, I have chosen Marilyn Hughes Gaston, who is amazing. And I'm going to tell you why. Yay. She's born on January 31st. 1939 in Cincinnati, Ohio, Mm -hmm. which makes her an Aquarius, and their characteristics are like observant, enthusiastic, charming, considerate, entertaining, honorable, and know when it's time to be responsible, and they handle like tough issues. Mm -hmm. That's what I know about that. I don't know why I always think that's interesting. I think people like it. I like it. I didn't know much about Aquarius. I don't know anything about this. (laughs) Every every time you tell me, I'm like, great. <laughs> That's cool. Cool fact. Yeah. That's funny. So she was the second of three children born to Dorothy and Myron Hughes. Her mom was a mm-hmm. medical secretary and her father was a waiter. They lived in public housing, but they moved out of that when Marilyn was about 12 so she could attend a college prep school. Cool. So they did a lot for education in her house. Yeah. Clearly prioritized it. She says that by the time she was nine, she knew she wanted to be a doctor. Oh, my God. Even at that age, her teachers were discouraging her, saying she would never get into medical school with all the obstacles. She was black. She was a girl. She was. They were like, you can't do it. Trash educators. Boo! Yeah. Yeah. She had inspiration and solidarity in actually a tragic event that hit really close to home. Mm-hmm. When she was 13, her mom actually collapsed. And she recalls this instance as, like, when she realized, like, yes, I want to be a doctor Mm -hmm. for sure. Probably that feeling of, like, helplessness. Yes. And she said, one day I was in the living room with my mother, and that day she fainted. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what was wrong. It was very frightening to me. And back then we didn't have 911. That's so weird. So I didn't really know what to do. It's weird to think about a time before 911, right? No 911. Crazy. Yeah. Who do you call? Ghostbusters. You'd have to. So she didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Her mom actually had cancer in her cervix. Mm. But she says we were poor. We were uninsured. She was not getting health care. And that's why she fainted. And from that point on, she says, I knew that I wanted to do something to change that situation. Oh, wow. So, like, she, her mom is a force. Her mother told her and her father told her, I don't care what anyone says to you. Your race and your gender 
are not an excuse for failure. I do not care yeah. about the obstacles out there. You are going to do what you want to do. Good for her. So people were like, girl, pick a different dream. Yeah. But she didn't care. And she set her sights high anyway. And she did that with the support of her parents and her family. Her parents told her, you can do and be whatever you want to be. And they also quoted Henry Ford a lot to her that said, there are people who believe that they can and people who believe that they cannot. Mm-hmm. And so that's like their thing. Like, can you do it or can't you? It's all in, yeah. in if you believe that you can. I mean, in hindsight, Henry Ford is trash, but... Big trash energy. I was like... I'll take it coming from them as an inspirational quote. The application <laughs> of it to this moment makes sense. Henry Ford as a person... Garbage. Yeah. Agreed. Keep going. (laughs) Marilyn talks about fierce black women in her story that gave her fire. One of them was her godmother who actually worked to integrate the neighborhood pool. Oh, wow. So, like, she had inspiration around her. Yeah. It's like she has a lot of people in her corner. Yeah, no kidding. She said, Marilyn, don't pay those people any mind. She said, remember, I keep telling you, a no is just a yes waiting to happen. Yeah, so after she graduated high school, she studied zoology at the Miami University in Ohio, not to be confused as, as like, Miami, Florida, Kelly Kapoor. Okay, definitely thought that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Remember when Kelly Kapoor in the office is like, I don't need these coats, bitches. I'm going to Miami, and it's, like, Ohio. (laughs) Miami University of Ohio, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But so so she goes to university, right? She's like, whatever, I'm going to study zoology. Yeah. Still there, she ran into resistance from faculty members and advisors. Oh, wow. She graduated in 1960. A doctor at the hospital she was working at the time, finally gave her the words she needed. He told her that if she really wanted to be a physician, she wouldn't be satisfied with nursing duties. And that was what she was doing at that point. Mm -hmm. And she says, he told me to go for it, and I did. And then she went to medical school. And she got accepted uh at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. Mm -hmm. She was one of six women and the only black woman in her class. Wow. This is in the 60s. I'm like, that's not that long ago. Yeah. She ended school with a medical degree in pediatrics in 1964. So she completed an internship at the Philadelphia General Hospital, and she found her interest in sickle cell. That would actually lead her to conduct her really famous study. Oh, interesting. Sickle cell disease is a blood disorder that results in chronic anemia and recurring Mm -hmm. pain. Over time, it actually causes like weakness and even death. It's a red blood cell disorder. It's inherited. And the blood cells, instead of being like Mm -hmm. the normal shape, are actually like stiff and even sticky, which causes them to like block blood flow and break down inside the vessels. And red blood carries oxygen. So Mm -hmm. like it's super horrible for your organs. In fact, the Sickle Cell uh, Disease Association of America estimates that each year almost a thousand children are born with this disease in the U.S. So like, oh, wow, it's scary. Yeah. When you were doing this research, did you see a picture of the blood cells compared to a normal blood cell? Yes. It's so interesting. If you guys haven't seen it's that. Like a, it's like a moon yep. and a crescent moon, kind of, is like how it looks. Exactly. That's a really good description. That's exactly what it looks like. It's so interesting. Like a normal cell is the moon. A sickle cell is like the crescent moon. And you're yes. immediately, I'm like, I don't want my 
blood cells to look like that. that no, no one good. does. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> no. On one of her shifts, Marilyn saw a small child who had a really swollen and infected hand, mm-hmm. and her supervising resident told her to test for sickle cell disease. Because she saw the pain in the child and didn't know enough to diagnose on her own, she put her head down and began to learn. Yeah. And that's really where she was like, I have got to figure out what is what is this and how can we solve the problem? Yeah. This head down moment would lead her to study, improve the treatment of, and it ultimately change the way in which we think about learning and applying what we've learned to sickle cell disease. Upon her graduation, she's offered a job practicing medicine in a wealthy-ish neighborhood in the area. Mm-hmm. She decided to help start a community health center in a low-income neighborhood in Lincoln Heights, Ohio. That's amazing. The Lincoln Heights Health Center opened in 1967 as a four-room apartment. Oh, wow. So the living room was a waiting room. The bedrooms were the exam rooms, and there was like a nursing station in one of the rooms. Yeah. So that's really cool. I thought that was, like, really amazing. Super cool. Yeah, good for her. In 1967, she became the director, and she stayed on for three years. They eventually established a day there, like, in uh, Lincoln Heights, Ohio, in her honor, which is super cute. Of course they did. That's Uh amazing. She left her position with grant money from President Nixon to actually go and study sickle cell disease, like, full-time. Oh, wow. So she opened the Sickle Cell Disease Center in 1972 with that money. Mm Mm-hmm. I knew, and I, be- and I still believe, that one individual can make a difference. There's no question about it. But when you start having a goal that a group of people, are like a community, are all committed to, I mean, you can change the whole world. There's no question about it. So the power of the group is really important. Marilyn got a position as a medical expert in the Sickle Cell Center of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, which is a branch of the National Institute of Health. And she worked there for 14 years. Of course she did, because she's amazing. Yeah, of course she did. Um, In 1986, while at the National Institute of Health, she published the results of a sickle cell disease study. This study, you'll be super proud of me for learning all this stuff about this study. I'm already impressed. Included a... A multi-center, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical trial. Nice. Look Very at nice. Me, science works. <laughs> yeah. Um, to assess if administering oral penicillin twice a day would help reduce the infection in children affected by sickle cell disease. Mm-hmm. I remember when the paper came out in 1986, I was further along in my training and thought, wow, this is a pretty important paper that a simple dose of penicillin can actually save lives. Because the penicillin results were so promising, the safety board ended the study eight months early. Dosing with penicillin became a central policy of the U.S. Public Health Service. The study determined like 84% of infection was reduced. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. This study and its reports actually led to a nationwide screening program to test newborns for the immediate treatment to be started. Wow. Based on her efforts, the complications of sickle cell disease can be avoided with early treatment, and that would not have happened without her her research and her leadership. Oh, my God. Yes. This life-saving result was compounded by legislation to encourage and fund sickle cell disease screening programs nationwide all because of her work. Less than a year after her study, 40 states had screenings, like, in place. Oh, my God, that just gave me chills. Among all the clinical trials and all the research that's done 
all the investigators. There's a special place in that pantheon for investigators whose results actually save lives. And this is one of those. That's amazing. She's like saving children, like right now. I can't believe I didn't know. Like, I knew her name. I've heard of it before, but I've never, I, I, I could not have told you what she did in science. And that's such a pity. Yeah, I agree. But that's what we're here for. Yeah. In 1990, Dr. Gatson became the director of the Bureau of Primary Health Care in the U.S. Health Resources and Service Administration. Mm-hmm. She had a $5 billion budget to improve health care for underserved communities. Wow. That's a crazy amount of money. Yeah. Billion with a B is a lot of money. <laughs> billion with a B is a lot. Yeah. Million with an M is a lot, but billion with a B is crazy. It's crazy. Over 12 million people and over 4,000 sites got health care through her administration. Oh, my god, Which is like a crazy, I wanted to share those numbers. 12 million people? That's insane. Yes. yes. She was the first black woman to be made the director mm-hmm. and the second black woman to achieve the position of assistant surgeon general and the rank of rear admiral in the U.S. Public Health Service. I know. Oh my gosh. Like, what do you do on your free time? <laughs> yeah. So she focused on improving healthcare services to populations who are underserved underinsured mm-hmm. and disadvantaged. Obviously, that's her passion. Yeah. She led the expansion of community health centers, migrant health centers, and the National Health Service Corps. Mm-hmm. In 1998, Gaston led the movement towards 100% access and zero health disparities, which was a movement designed to get community leaders and business groups to set and achieve goals of everyone having equal access to primary health care in their communities free of disparities based on race, ethnicity, gender, age, sexual preference, income, etc. Wow. Yeah. I, what a lofty goal. What a lofty, I know. Her. It's just like, I got money. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> she actually uh, retired in October of 2001, but has kept, kept mm-hmm. up her contributions to, like, achieving that go- that lofty goal and, like, really furthering public health. Wow. Um, I'm proud of the fact that my passion for health and health outcomes and access to care got me to the highest level in the public health service to be the director of the Bureau of Primary Health Care, to um, achieve the title of Assistant Surgeon General, um, to absolutely not only make change, because what, what we did, I was over the program that took your dollars, your tax dollars, and went to the neediest communities in the country and also internationally throughout the Caribbean and the Pacific to first of all make sure they had access to care. We would build health centers. Gadsden collaborated with clinical psychologist Gail K. Porter to publish It's called Prime Time, the African-American Woman's Guide to Midlife Health and Wellness, in that she asserts that black women neglect their own health in effort to care for others. Yeah. And she writes, um, we as black women are dying at rates greater than any other group of women. Mm -hmm. Still at work, she serves as the co-director of the Gatson and Porter Health Improvement Center, which is a nonprofit with the mission to empower women, especially women in midlife, to prioritize and improve their physical and emotional health and reduce their health disparities. Oh, my gosh. I know. She has received numerous awards and recognitions, some of them being two honorary doctorates of science, 
um, one from the University of Pennsylvania and the other from Dartmouth University. Oh, my God. And yeah, sure, do- of course. I know, just casually. An honorary doctor- doctorate in human letters from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. The National Medical Association Scroll of Merit, the organization's highest honor. Wow. Dr. Nathan Davis Award, yeah. American Medical Association. She's a member of Ohio Women's Hall of Fame. She better be. And the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine selects two students in financial need to receive full four-year scholarships, and they call those students the Gatson uh, Scholars. Oh, that's amazing. Dr. Gaston is a remarkable person. Here she is a, a minority physician herself, grew up in, in poverty, was able to overcome a number of personal and professional hurdles to, to get where she was. She achieved a lot here at Cincinnati, then she went on to the federal government and worked as the assistant surgeon general. So her whole career is one that you could just point to and say, try to aspire to do that. I love her. I think she's amazing. I'm glad to share her story with you. That's what I know about that. Marilyn, you are amazing. She's such a badass. Yeah, she's cool. Okay, great work. Thank you very much. Good job. And good job, Dr. Gaston, for being just like the coolest person ever. Yeah, literally every time we talk about someone, I'm like, this is the coolest person ever <laughs> every single time. Literally, same. Um, well, if you want to hear about another cool one. I do. I'm going to tell you about Dr. Marie Maynard Daly. Oh, I love that name, Marie. Super cute. So everyone essentially knows at this point that having high cholesterol is bad, right? Yeah. Like that's a household fact. Everybody knows that. That's like not not good. It can lead to high blood pressure, clogged arteries, also called atherosclerosis, which can lead to heart disease or stroke, right? None of that is good. None of it is good. What we all now consider to be common knowledge was discovered by an unsung hero of science that we all need to know the name of. And that person's name is Dr. Marie Maynard Daly. Yay. So a little bit of background about heart disease. It is the leading cause of death for men, women, and most racial and ethnic groups in the U.S. Yeah. One person in the United States dies every 36 seconds from cardiovascular disease. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers are... Astounding. About 659,000 people in the U.S. die from heart disease each year. So that's one out of every four deaths can be attributed to heart disease. Staggering numbers, right? Like that is wild. I knew that it was bad um, because I've seen, you know, we've all seen American Heart Association PSAs and stuff like that. I did not know how bad it was. And I didn't know that it was the leading cause of death. So the person who sort of set the foundation for everything that we know now about heart disease, clogged arteries, high cholesterol is Marie. One of the amazing things about this story is that people are often unaware of women scientists because their stories stay untold for so long, but their impact is so integral to the history of science and medical science. And Marie is one of those women, and this is her story. Okay. Dr. Daly is one of the heroes that I'm guessing most of our listeners have never heard of, but she has contributed so much to society and medicine. She was actually the first ever African-American woman in the U.S. to earn a Ph.D. in chemistry. 
That's cool. And that was awarded by Columbia University in 1947. She made an important contributions to four separate areas of research, the chemistry of these proteins called histones, uh, protein synthesis, the relationship between cholesterol and high blood pressure, and then she did some work with, with creatine. Her career is so difficult to summarize in three pages because she did so much different and very interesting research, so I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Okay, perfect. She was born on April 16th, 1921 to Ivan C. Daly, who had actually immigrated recently to the U.S. from the British West Indies. And he found work as a postal clerk, and he married his wife, Helen Page, and then they had Marie. Her family lived in New York City, so Marie was actually raised in Queens. While her parents were working, Marie spent a bunch of time with her maternal grandparents, and her grandfather had this really huge, extensive library. Oh, that's cool. So she would just go through her grandpa's library and look for books about scientists. Because from an early age, she was like, I love science. I'm going to be a scientist. That's cool. So she saw all these people contributing to the medical research world. And she like decided right then and there, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a scientist. That's awesome. No questions. No one said, no, you're not going to. Like, it just happened, right? I wish that was me. <laughs> Same. So it's not like her path was easy. Mm-hmm. But the difference that I find so interesting between her and Marilyn from your story is almost no one ever told her, no, you're not going to do this. Oh, that's good. Like, her family, her high school that she went to, everyone, the career counselors there were like, we're going to help you become a scientist. Like, what can we do? That's awesome. Everybody jumped on her bandwagon immediately. They were like, yes, you are. So it's not like she didn't face difficulties. She was definitely up to the challenge of of being black and a woman in a time when it was not typical for black women to be accepted into fields like this. She just had people in her corner. But she had a lot of people in her corner. That's good. Her dad, Ivan, wanted to be a scientist when he came to the U.S. He got accepted into Cornell University. Yeah. He started pursuing a career in science, and he had to drop out because he ran out of funds. And he was, like, determined that his daughter would not deal with the same circumstances. So his Marie's father essentially, like, pushed her to follow her dreams because he was like, you're getting to live out the thing that I didn't get to do. We love him. I know. I know. I love a dad moment. Same. I love a dad moment. Me too. (laughs) Her whole life is a dad moment. Like, I will cry. She said, my father wanted to become a scientist, but there weren't opportunities for him as a black man at that time. And so he basically pushed her to make her own opportunities because he was like, you're not going to be denied your dream, essentially. Yeah. It was that's beautiful. So supportive. So she was super impressive as a student throughout her entire youth. Yeah. Obviously. She enrolled at Queens College in New York so that she could continue living with her parents and save money while she went to school because she's smart. That sounds fun. She graduated magna cum laude in 1942 with a bachelor's degree in chemistry. Beautiful. Partially because if you're up to date on history, 1942, super stressful time. Mm -hmm. And colleges around the country were working to train more students who they thought might be useful in growing war efforts. Wow. You know. Like World War Two, Yeah. So essentially, beca- even though she was black and a woman, they were like, we don't know what's coming. We got to get some chemists out of here. And so she was kind of 
given an opportunity in a time when if it weren't for the war, maybe black women wouldn't have been as accepted as they were when it was like colleges just had to get some chemists out, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. Right. The college actually offered her as soon as she graduated. So she's a shiny star and they see it. Yeah. They're like, do you want a fellowship to do a graduate study here? And they're like, she's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll so, take I'll take your <clears throat> money. Thank you. Good day. She gets this fellowship. She's working at NYU while also working part-time as a laboratory assistant at Queens College. And she completed her master's degree in one year. Shout out, girl. I mean, couldn't be me, but go on. Go off. Could never be me. (laughs) Same. Takes me a year to figure out what classes I'm taking. (laughs) (laughs) Literally same. She became... Immediately after that, a chemistry tutor at Queens College, and while she was tutoring, she enrolls in a doctoral program at Columbia University. Period. Her PhD thesis was called A Study of the Products Formed by the Action of Pancreatic Amylase on Cornstarch. So, long story short, she was studying how compounds that you produce in your body affect and participate in digestion. Okay. Okay. She was awarded her doctoral degree in 1947. So for anybody who's doing the math there, that's three years. That's crazy. That her doctorate took her, which is nuts. Like, trust me, that shit is not easy. (laughs) (laughs) So by finishing her doctorate, Marie became the first ever African-American to receive a Ph.D. from Columbia University and the first African-American woman ever in the history of the U.S. to get a chemistry Ph.D., What's crazy is that when she graduated in 1947, she did not even know that she was the first female African-American to get a Ph.D. in chemistry. No one told her. This kind of stuff, I'm, like, legit getting emotional. This kind of stuff really gets me. Like, yeah, the the delay, just the access that people were denied and the potential and the, the brilliance that sits in places that have just like kept doors closed really pisses me off. And then in that, (laughs) in that same breath, like her achievement and her dad just, it's so, it's so beautiful. Like, I'm so happy you shared this story. I don't know what is wrong with me. I'm like, you're killing me. (laughs) You're making me really emotional too. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's hard to think of the fact that, Especially as a PhD student, it's really hard to think of the fact that in, like, our parents' lifetime, someone would have been denied access to a program like this because of their race. Oh, it's disgusting. It really enrages me. Like, like it actually really does. And the fact that as a little girl of color, no one ever told her no. Yeah. Like, no one ever told her that she couldn't do it. Like, everybody saw how smart she was and just lined up behind yeah. her. And I love... It's really beautiful. And I'm just so glad that, like, stars aligned for her and the war was happening, yeah. which is, like, tragic to say, so that she could have access to a, a system that definitely would have kept her out if, like, their distractions hadn't been there. If they didn't need her. Yeah. Yeah. You're killing me. <laughs> I'm crying now. This is a little mo. I was like, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I've been there. I live there. I get so frustrated by the fact that I didn't know her name. Yeah. I get so frustrated by the fact that, it. you know, it's partially on me to do the research and it's on all of us to, to laud and applaud these heroes who yeah. went above and beyond, you know. She, who pave, pave ways. 
But that's why we're doing this. Exactly. This is why we're doing this. That's why we're here. Because you cannot know everything. No. And that's why you come here because we will find out everything. We'll find out everything. (laughs) And we'll tell you. We'll hunt the truth down and we'll tell you. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we're here for. That's why we do this. I mean, these moments really remind me like why I love doing this so much. Me too. I just learning about this person and getting to tell other people about her. It's yeah. It makes it all worth it. I think. Yeah. So she finished her doctorate degree. She taught for two years at Howard. Shout out to Howard again. Shout out. While she was teaching at Howard, she started doing some of the earliest research ever on the cause of like clogged arteries, cholesterol and clogged arteries or atherosclerosis. So shortly after that, she published this study, which was published in the Journal of Experimental Medicine. She was working with rats to test their cholesterol levels with different diets, their blood pressure, how damaged or clogged their arteries were. And she was the first person in research to find a strong correlation between high blood pressure and high cholesterol in the blood, which was incredibly groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, sounds crazy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And that finding is so ingrained in our knowledge of health that it sounds like, well, duh. Yeah, now it's... Right, but that's all based on her research, which makes it even more ridiculous that I didn't know her name, you know? Like, everyone should know her name. Yeah. So, immediately after she published that, she got a huge grant from the American Cancer Society to support her postdoctoral research. Um, She joined... Alfred Mursky, who was a pioneer in molecular biology at the Rockefeller Institute in New York, where for seven years she did even more amazing groundbreaking research. She was funded by the American Heart Association. While working there, she was the only black scientist on the entire campus. Is that... So imagine how that felt. Uh, probably like... This is in 1955. Yeah, the were, was it... Did they have like segregated bathrooms? I'm sure. I'm not sure, but, um, you know, like like we said earlier, there were definitely campuses that were not desegregated, not integrated. Oh, yeah. In the 60s. And this is in the 50s. I'm sure at, at minimum, she definitely, the articles about her are like, she definitely faced discrimination, both for being a woman and for being black. I know. The intersection is just... Yeah, and the whole time she was conducting this research she literally just kept her head down and did her work and everyone around her just recognized what an incredible talent she was so you know I think externally she faced a lot of discrimination but the people who knew her were like no she's incredible Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah yeah it's just crazy to me that she was doing research to save the lives of people who hated her because she was black yeah yeah I mean, she's... If you're a racist, yeah. you should not get access to any heart-related care. Period. I, I'm i fine with that. I am too. I'm cool. Do it. <laughs> Make the rule. I just It's the law according to the rules. Like That's just what happened. I, I'm here for it. So, after that, in 1955, she took a new position teaching biochemistry at the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Columbia University. In 1960, she became a professor at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, where she remained until her retirement in 1986. In 1975, she was one of 30 minority women scientists who attended a conference examining the challenges facing minority women in STEM fields 
it made recommendations about recruiting and retaining minority women scientists, which it was published in 1976. I feel like that's saying something. They're like, here's how you get get women interested in science and here's how you keep them once they're here, which is like they good for them. They published that and then all of the men in charge, they were like, throw that in the trash. <laughs> yeah. Don't they slid it that. off their desk like an angry cat. <laughs> yes. Yes. They angry cat. No. Yeah. So she kept working in academia until 1986. And then from then until 1989, she served on the Commission for Science and Technology of the city of New York. In 1999, she was recognized by the National Technical Association as one of the top 50 women in science, engineering, and technology. Period. She accomplished, this just gave me a little chill as I was about to read this, she accomplished so much as a scientist, but beyond her scientific achievements, she made massive improvements in her community. When she was at Albert Einstein University, she became a champion for diversity, working to increase representation of minorities in science. She was super committed to developing these programs that increased the enrollment of minority students in medical and graduate programs. So in 1988, in honor of her father, who could not finish college because of a lack of funds, she started a scholarship fund at her alma mater, Queens College, to assist minority students who are majoring in science. I love that. It just gave me a chill talking about it. (laughs) I'm going to cry again. (laughs) Her dad. For her dad. After her retirement, Marie and her husband settled into a little country home. They enjoyed gardening and boating until they eventually moved to Florida, like all happy retired people do. Mm -hmm. Um, She passed away peacefully in 2003. In summary, Dr. Marie Maynard Daly contributed an incredible amount to the field of medical research. She had a full career of cutting-edge research that has had so many important implications for the health sciences. There have been all over the country schools and scholarships that have been named after her, and we believe by telling Marie's story, we can help keep the memory of this incredible unsung hero alive. She did some amazing work, And if everybody knows names like James Watson, who actually cited her work in his Nobel Prize acceptance speech, then we should all know Dr. Marie Maynard Daly. And that's what I know about that. Wow. I love that. She's so cool. Thank you. Unsung heroes. Now you know about them. Now you know. Now you know. Two incredible people just doing the damn thing. Honestly. Thank you for sharing that and thank thank y'all for listening. This is this was a good episode. Yeah, so. you did make me cry. <laughs> I know. I was like getting I really love I love when we do these. Me um, too. Like people stories. So if you have a recommendation for another scientific hero who we should cover, please send us a DM or an email to malpracticepodcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. And don't make it James Watson or I'll fight you yeah we'll ignore you we'll yeah. talk shit about you <laughs> on this show <laughs> on uh, literally live just like this well it's not live but it'll feel live when it's your name in it <laughs> <laughs> if you like what we're doing don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you like to listen it really helps and don't forget 
Now practice makes perfect. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye.